Anna, was I right? Is that the one you're saying? It, it, uh, yeah, because um, I, I was sure that it was, but Emka said, you sure it was that one? You know, and she sowed a doubt in my mind. <laughs> so I just had to ask. Yes, yeah. And, of course, the big tragedy is that um, even though the folk were moved by it, yet of his family members, of the whole lot, I don't think there was one who knew the Lord. And... Um, and, and yet this is a wonderful, that was a wonderful uh, hymn of uh, comfort to those who do, a land that is fairer than day. Well, um, talk about a doubt in people's minds. There is one doctrine in the Bible for which we can have no doubt whatever, and that is the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, his resurrection from the dead. No doubt whatever. We live in a day when that great truth is coming more and more under attack. Of course, it's always been attacked by unbelievers. Um, uh, there were those, um, well, who, who did not believe our Lord when he promised that he would die, but he would rise again from the dead. And so his enemies then, uh, to ensure that uh, his body could not be whisked away, they didn't believe in the resurrection, but um, they arranged with Pontius Pilate to have the tomb sealed and have, have uh, guards guard it so that the disciples could not take his body away and say that he had risen from the dead. But when Paul is opening his a great historical book, the book of the Acts of the Apostles. In other words, the history of the, uh, the inception of the Christian church from the day of Pentecost uh, for the next 30-some years to about uh, the year 68 AD. Uh, he spoke about the... Uh, well, he's writing to a friend called Theophilus, uh, the same man that he'd written the Gospel of Luke to, and, uh, and this, and this uh, most excellent Theophilus, as Luke addresses him, uh, seemed to be a close friend, but a very influential and a very important person. And uh, Luke wanted him to be absolutely certain of the truths that were coming out. And so he introduces the book of Acts by saying that the Lord Jesus showed himself alive after his passion, after his death, by many infallible proofs. And so we'll look at some of these proofs uh, this evening. Of course, the uh, resurrection of Christ, uh, we always save this sort of a message up until Easter Sunday. But this is one of the vital truths that are basic to our Christian faith. And the early apostles, uh, this was continually on their lips, that Christ has risen from the dead. And so it should be with us too that, um, that uh, this should be preached more frequently than just once a year at Easter time. Well then, uh, as I say, the doctrine has always been under attack from unbelievers. Uh, for example, on Paul's second missionary journey, uh, this time uh, as he was going to go further into Asia Minor, uh, the Holy Spirit was closing the door, this door, and he didn't go. And then that 
direction. No, he didn't go. And then he had that vision of a man from Macedonia across the Aegean Sea uh, in Europe saying, come over and help us. And he took that as being the Lord's message to him to take the gospel into Europe now. And so he came to uh, Philippi and then later on he came to the south of Greece to Athens. And in chapter 17 of Acts we read that when he came to Athens, he's walking around, he sees all of the shrines that have been set up to this God Zeus and to that God uh, whatever and this God there were shrines everywhere and uh, there was one in particular because the Greeks, the pagan Greeks evidently had come across uh, something that caused them worry and, uh, and this shrine was to the unknown God there must be another God somewhere all of our needs are not being met. Uh, man is incurably religious. And that's not surprising because when God created uh, all of creation and he saw that it was good, when he said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness, even though the fall has come, we still have this God-shaped hole in our hearts. And so we have this inward belief that yes there is a force mightier than us somewhere and the desire of mankind pagan mankind even has always been to find out what this is but of course there were those who rejected um, uh, the, the fact of God the creator of all things who is the God who is vitally interested in us so when Paul is there at Athens and he addresses all of the people out in the, um, uh, the Areopagus. Uh, there were the Stoics, the Epicureans, all those who'd come to Athens to the markets to buy and to sell. And he stood up to preach and the people were saying, oh, what's this babbler going to say? And uh, so they listened to him and uh, he was telling them about the unknown God. He wanted to preach unto them about uh, God the Father, the Creator, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and then he, uh, as he's drawing it to a close, he said, the times of this ignorance, the ignorance among all the people, the times of this ignorance God winked at. He overlooked. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day by the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, whereof he has given assurance to all men, and that he raised him from the dead. And when the people heard, raised him from the dead, some mocked, what a load of rubbish. Others said, we'd like to hear a bit more about this. And there were some, Damaris and uh, and another and uh, several others who believed. And then, um, and, and so, so there were those mockers then. But unfortunately, this doctrine is coming under attack more and more within the Christian church. Some years ago in Sydney, there was a theologian who denied the resurrection and who said that uh, Jesus didn't really die at all. 
Uh, he just went into a swoon uh, because of all the pain and he became unconscious. He appeared to be dead and uh, he was put in the tomb, yes, but the cold of the tomb revived him and he was able to come out. Well, if that theologian is right, then Jesus himself is a liar because when he appeared to John on the Isle of Patmos, And he said, fear not, John, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. So let us have no doubt whatever that our Lord Jesus Christ truly died on the cross, that he was buried and he rose again from the dead. So firstly, uh, so I quoted those uh, verses from Acts there that by many Uh, infallible proofs he showed himself alive but just coming over to the epistle to the Romans in chapter 1 Romans chapter 1 just the first four verses Paul a bondservant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle separated to the gospel of God which he promised before through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. And then he's uh, writing to those who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. So uh, this is uh, Paul telling us now that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, born of the seed of David according to the flesh, so this is referring to his incarnation, God taking upon himself human flesh and uh, uh, born... Uh, a descendant of King David. So uh, in his humanity, he was uh, born of the seed of David, declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. So there was that event in time when God took upon human form and he did so for the specific purpose of Uh, dying for our sins. So here in these few verses we find that the resurrection of uh, our Lord is uh, without any uh, fear of uh, contradiction, he is declared to be the Son of God. This doctrine, verse 4, declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. This doctrine is uh, declared and uh, Uh, referring back to the book of Acts, once again the earlier chapters there following the day of Pentecost when uh, Peter is preaching here, we see that that his uh, coming into the world and his life and his death and his resurrection were all predicted, they were all foretold in the Old Testament scriptures. And so we, um, uh, <clears throat> uh, yeah, look, looking at chapter 2 now, this is following the day of Pentecost. 
Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 23 and going into 24. Verse 23. I'll go to 22. Men of Israel, this is Peter speaking, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. You know, they'd seen the Lord when he was working around and uh, when he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, when he was giving other orations, and they'd seen some of the miraculous events that came from his hand. But he goes on to say in verse 23, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, in the grave or in hell, depending on which translation you're looking at, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. So uh, Peter here is quoting from Psalm 16. And then uh, as you go along a little further to um, verses 34 to 36, and uh, this is still in the same address, David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And so David here clearly is speaking about the descendant who would come Jehovah said to my Lord, the Lord Jesus, sit at my right hand. Uh, this leads to a question that the Lord himself asked uh, the Jews of his day. Um, you, you know, how, how can this be uh, without the incarnation of God in human form? And, uh, and of course, it was to them an unanswerable question. Uh, you know, how can David call him Lord, who is his descendant? And, uh, and so this is the verse from Psalm 110 that David here is referring to. But um, uh, so this is all foretold in scriptures. Uh, when uh, uh, when uh, King, uh, sorry, when Paul left uh, Athens, you know, that message on Mars Hill, uh, the times of this ignorance God winked at. He went on then, he left Athens, he went just a short distance further to the east to Corinth. And a church was established at Corinth and, uh, and it wasn't long before different heresies were coming in and he wrote the first epistle uh, to them in response to five errors that were coming in. And one of them was uh, that we have in chapter 15, uh, if he, you know, how say some among you, there is no resurrection of the dead. If Christ is not raised, then uh, all of our preaching is vain. But that chapter starts off with Paul giving a very short account of what the gospel actually is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures refers to the Old Testament scriptures, the scriptures that the Jewish people acknowledged as being 
infallible words of God. So he died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So we've seen a couple of instances there where uh, even the poetical books, the book of Psalms, speaks about his uh, death, burial and resurrection. Now this also comes in other books of the Bible. On those occasions when we read that... um, uh, Jesus, after his resurrection, expounded unto those two on the road to Emmaus, uh, beginning at Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament, and all the prophets. He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so we have it in all of the um, prophetical writings as well. The, the prophets, the major prophets, the minor prophets, Uh, we can see glimpses of his death, burial, resurrection, his uh, virgin birth, his virtuous life, his uh, vicarious death on the cross, dying in our place, his victorious resurrection from the dead. For example, Isaiah chapter 53, those early verses in the 53rd of Isaiah speak of his death, that... um, We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. And then his death. His grave was assigned with the wicked, but he was with a rich man in his death. And then chapter 53 closes with that um, uh, God will appoint him a... uh, a great blessing of those who are going to come to faith through him as that wonderful 53rd of Isaiah closes. So there we have in the Old Testament scriptures prophecy concerning his death and burial and resurrection. And so uh, these are, uh, in, for example, in uh, verse 10, it pleased the Lord, it pleased Jehovah to bruise him. He has put him to grief, made his soul an offering for sin. So that is the reason he died. This is all in the plan of God. And then in verse 11, he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. You know, there are a lot of people uh, in churches today and they always want to have something new. They want to be entertained. They want to be uh, you know, have this, have the drums and guitars and m- make a worship meeting look more like a, um, you know, a nightclub uh, gathering. But um, uh, maybe that's being extreme, but uh, you're seeing it more and more. However, remember this. God the Father shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. And if... Uh, we at any time feel not satisfied with the Lord. Remember that God is. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Uh, You you know, that can be a real rebuke uh, coming from the Lord himself. But uh, so so that's something to do with the prophetical uh, circumstances of our Lord's resurrection. But there's the actual history, and for this we go to the Gospels themselves, because that is the historical account of our Lord walking on this earth, 
And so the Gospels, as they each one draws to a close, towards the end, it has to do with our Lord's uh, death and burial and resurrection. And so once again, getting back to 1 Corinthians 15... First Corinthians 15, um, and Paul writing here says, For I deliver to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now listen to this, that he was seen by Cephas, that is Peter, then by the twelve, uh, by the twelve is just a collective term for the disciples as a group. Uh, there were no longer twelve there. Judas Iscariot was no longer with them. Um, so then by the twelve, by the disciples, uh, <clears throat> after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, though some have fallen asleep. Some have died already. At the time of writing, some of the older ones uh, who had been witnesses to this had fallen asleep. But uh, Paul is establishing that this is solid fact and you can uh, really uh, depend upon it. And uh, he goes on to say, um, after that he was seen by James, Most probably this was James, his half-brother, when he was um, moving about before uh, the crucifixion, uh, his own family did not understand. He had four half-brothers and at least two sisters, uh, in spite of what the Church of Rome says, that uh, Mary remained a virgin throughout life. But, um, uh, you know, we're given their names, but... uh, there were two of them, James and uh, Judas. Uh, Judas was a fairly common name then, uh, who uh, we believe wrote the epistles of James and Jude, uh, the Lord's half-brothers. But um, uh, <clears throat> uh, what was I going to say here? Yes, yeah, so, so that would be that James, uh, Uh, not James the brother of John nor the other James there were two disciples by the name of James James the less uh, was the other one but uh, more likely James the Lord's half brother but uh, I really love the next uh, verse or two Um, verse 7 after that he was seen by James then by all the apostles so that then goes beyond the 12 but all of those who you know including uh, some whose names we know, like John Mark and uh, Silas and Barnabas and so forth, uh, because they also participated in being sent out by churches to uh, conduct missions. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I laboured more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but by the grace of God which was with me, therefore 
whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. So this is Paul himself saying that he too is a witness to the resurrection, not with the other apostles at the time, but now he is confident that he is witnessed to the resurrection. And of course we remember that event in Acts chapter 9 when he's on the road to Damascus up in Syria with the specific purpose of arresting Christians and putting them in jail to be punished in due course. And the Lord met him in a really wonderful way. And so, um, so he himself says that he saw the risen, ascended Lord. And so he did. And, uh, and when he said that I laboured more abundantly than they all, he's not boasting, he really did. Um, I'm reminded of that story that our Lord told, or that um, it will, he was talking to a Pharisee uh, he was um, he had accepted hospitality from this Pharisee. He was in the Pharisee's home, and uh, there was a woman, a sinful woman, who came and started to wash our Lord's uh, feet uh, with ointment and, um, and and with her tears, dry dry his feet uh, after washing them with tears and with her hair. And, uh, and this Pharisee was real dark look on his face. If he were really a prophet, he'd know what sort of woman she is. You know, he'd want to have nothing at all to do with her. But uh, the Lord truly was a prophet. He knew what the Pharisee was thinking. And he said to him, he said, there, was a, there were two people in debt to one creditor. And uh, he, he was speaking in Denarii there and... Uh, uh, one of, them, one of them owed ten times as much as the other. So if we can bring it into today's currency, ten times as much. So we'll say that one owed $1,000 and the other man owed $10,000. And, uh, and neither of them was able to pay, but this creditor frankly forgave them both. Get no more. He said, which of those two would love his creditor, the most. Or the one who had the greater debt. And so, um, you know, the Lord drew the lesson out of that, that she, this um, woman who was regarded as a sinful woman around town, she saw that she was a great sinner and, uh, and she went away forgiven because her love for the Lord was that much greater. And so then, um, just like that, Saul of Tarsus, the one who was persecuting the church, he was there at the stoning of Stephen, uh, consenting to his death, and he was out to stop this movement, and uh, so cruel in so many ways, so much so that when the Lord said to Ananias, you must go and help, uh, Saul of Tarsus, you know, he was blind then. Ananias may not have known that. And uh, Ananias said, what? Go to Saul of Tarsus. I've heard many things about him. You know, I'll keep my distance away from that man. And uh, no, 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 he prays. Yeah, of course he prays. He's a Pharisee. He's always said his prayers. No, but now he prays. 
<laughs> and that was the difference. And so uh, Ananias was able to do as the Lord expected of him to go to Saul. So now Saul is saying, last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. Yes, I, was, I saw him, but it was after the historical event I saw him, uh, even though uh, it was after he had ascended into heaven. All right, now uh, let's let's have a look at a bit of the uh, doctrine which uh, which comes with this, because the preaching of the resurrection, as we have it in scriptures, is absolutely vital to the preaching of the gospel. So he is declared to be the Son of God with power, and uh, the claims that he made really are undeniable. When uh, he forgave that woman her sin, he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Uh, To the one that uh, was lowered through the roof uh, by four of his friends because uh, there were so many people in the house they couldn't get in, they got up on the roof with him, took away some of the tiles and lowered him down. And, uh, And the Lord said to this man who was lame, your sins are forgiven. What? No one can forgive sins except God. Well, they got that right, but he is God. The Lord Jesus is God. He is God the Son. And so uh, he claimed to be the Son of God with power, as Paul writes to the Romans, because he forgave sin. By that act, he was claiming to be God. And it's proven by the resurrection, as Luke writing to the uh, Theophilus in Acts chapter 1 said, by many infallible proofs, all of those who were witnesses to it. And um, going back to Romans chapter 1 again, verse 4, declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we've received grace and apostleship for obedience. Every other doctrine in the rest of that epistle to the Romans collapses if he were not dead and then risen again from the dead to show himself alive. And so that is what Paul is saying here at the very beginning. And so um, so uh, declared to be the Son of God with power So it is uh, uh, vital to our preaching. Um, Also, we have, because of his his resurrection, we have pardon from sin. Now, it's true that the price for our sins was paid on the cross because there he experienced the wrath of God for sin by um, making, uh, the, making our sins his own sins. Our sins were imputed to him and so his righteousness is then imputed to us, transferred to us. But uh, in, his, um, well, in his death, sin has been conquered, uh, but in his resurrection, sorry, uh, in his death, um, sin has been conquered, but uh, death has been conquered in his resurrection. So remember, as um, uh, Phil reminded us this morning in our time of open worship, uh, when he read those verses from 1 Corinthians, 
O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The strength of sin is the law. And uh, that, or the sting of death is the law. The strength of sin uh, of the grave. Uh, those closing verses of 1 Corinthians 15, I should refer to them once again. But, uh, but this comes about because of his resurrection that we can, well, when the time comes for our passing, we can actually mock death. Death, where is your sting? I can imagine Paul standing at an open grave of a uh, funeral of a believer and uh, preaching a message there and uh, with the open grave and he's mocking death. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of uh, sin is the law. So... Um, so Satan is defeated uh, before the Lord went to the cross. Uh, he said, the hour has come and the prince of this world will be cast out. The prince of this world is Satan. So Satan himself was defeated at the cross. Um, but then uh, following the resurrection, um, uh, this really did confirm it. And uh, in, in closing, in our baptism we give a wonderful illustration of our Lord's death and burial and resurrection because we practice believer's baptism and, uh, and so uh, a person goes into the uh, waters of baptism as one who has died to self. He is then immersed uh, symbolising burial, and then he is raised again to newness of life. It's worth reading those verses from uh, Romans chapter 6. Uh, Romans chapter 6, read from verse 4. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So uh, when we uh, perform this act of obedience by coming into baptism, it should be with the determination that uh, we have died to sin and now we must walk uh, signifying the resurrection coming out of the water in newness of life to be done with sin because the promise down here is sin shall not have dominion over you and neither it should so um, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father even so we also should walk in newness of life for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. And we must reckon ourselves, of course, uh, we have these wonderful promises that uh, sin shall not have dominion over you, which the Lord undergirds with our uh, 
desire, our determination to do those things which are pleasing to him. But uh, also we have uh, other uh, uh, wonderful uh, promises as well. Hebrews 7.25, just a couple more and I close. Hebrews chapter 7. Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, seeing he always lives to make intercession for them. Now there's a wonderful promise that we can uh, take with us. Our Lord ever lives and he's making intercession for us. Just as he was praying for his disciples in that uh, wonderful high priestly prayer of his, John's Gospel chapter 17, so too he ever lives now to make intercession for us. Now that really should move our hearts. And uh, uh, John writing in his first epistle uh, said, little children, I write to you that you do not sin. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And of course there will be those times when we will be tripped up, when we won't be paying attention and Satan will trip us up. Well, uh, these are wonderful verses that, you know, if we sing standing on the promises of God, if someone challenge you and says, well, what promises of God are you standing on? Hey, you can quote one of these uh, with every confidence. All right, well, let's close. Loving Father, we give you thanks for the wonders of the gospel message that we have to proclaim as set out. Father, we thank you that we can say with the Apostle Paul that I am crucified with Christ Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth within me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Lord, may that be true of each one of us who knows the Lord, that we may go forth with the mighty power of God within us, and uh, with the wonderful promises of God that sin shall not have dominion over us, that our Lord Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. And on those occasions, we can confess and forsake sin and uh, be forgiven, to know forgiveness immediately, because we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. But now we ask that we part with your blessing, take us to our homes in safety, and Father, keep us rejoicing throughout this coming week. We ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.